Okay, if you have last week's class, that's good, because that's where we'll be. I do have a few if you aren't here. This is how I find out who throws these outlines. Oh, I'll see. No, you aren't here. <laughs> this is how I find out who throws these away. Worship was seven. <laughs> right, okay. Did you do... They asked me if I would do singing, so that's the one thing I don't do. anything except for. Yeah. Okay. We'll retread a little bit of last week's stuff. Well, not a little bit. We'll retread quickly through last week's stuff and get to the point where we uh, uh, get to the point where we left off. We have some more to say. Uh, and I would encourage to, when we get to some of the additional stuff, feel free to to write on these and all that. Unless you're just going to throw it away later. You know, don't worry about it. Maybe I should ask this. Okay, we know what phrase I talked about last week, and if you don't know, that is on the paper, so you get to do that. What did we talk about when it comes to the phrase... Every tribe and language and people and and nation. Why does that phrase matter? Because it doesn't exclude anybody. Yeah, okay, it's a very inclusive phrase. It's the basis of the gospel. Yeah, basis of the gospel, basis of the good news, uh, available to all. And so it stands to reason that we'll actually see that, that the kingdom will be comprised of all. Okay, what else? Three. Every nation, some people, every uh, language takes care of a lot of people, and then the other one takes care of it. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah, it it covers. By blood. Yeah, it covers all the bases uh, with uh, tribal language, people, and nation. There, you you get everything uh, covered there. We're not leaving anybody out. Okay? What else? So before the covenant was only for the Jewish people, yeah. after Christ it became everyone. Yes. Uh, so we have, and we talked about some of that last week, where uh, the old covenant given to the Jewish people, and why that, why that takes place. In fact, why don't we go to page two. See, quickly right through it. We're doing great. Uh, there in Genesis, where the you have to we, we have to understand why Abram's even talked to in the first place. Why why is God singling an individual out to work through? Uh, there's a lead up to all of that, more than just the Tower of Babel, but that's that that's that last thing. Uh, but you have Adam and Eve, who were individuals that God was going to work through, and they chose to not be worked through uh, completely. Uh, And so we progress from there, ultimately to the flood, where you end up with God's going to work through Noah and his family, just those eight. Talk more about that in the sermon a little bit today. Uh, But God's going to work through those eight and deal with sin and its consequences uh, in all these other places. And so he does that, starts with the eight uh, that are there. uh, And... They don't want to be worked through fully either. So then you have God still continuing to uh, exist and interact with 
the, the world post-flood, uh, and that ultimately leads to that big event number three of the Tower of Babel, where it's clear uh, God interacting with the, the creation at large, that this is the pattern it goes in, that people are just going to go and choose to do their own things. Uh, and that's what gives us, that's what prompts Genesis 12. Uh, I'm going to work specifically with this individual, make a promise to this individual, work with somebody who will go with me, will not always fully commit to me, uh, which is what we're seeing. We'll see it a little more tonight uh, in our lesson, talking about Jacob some more, uh, that by the time we get to that third generation, Jacob is uh, really hard to work with, uh, but he'll get there. But God's going to commit to that group, not just to save them, or to go, I can't save everybody, I'm just going to save this particular group. The Jews missed that point, because they're, they very much had this emphasis on where the chosen people, everybody else is outcast, outside, not wanted, all of this, they worship these other things, they're not interested in, in Yahweh, we are, we're his people, it's just us, and that completely missed the point of what God was doing. Uh, you have there Genesis 12, 2 and 3. The promise made to Abram, which is repeated many times, I will make of you a great nation, will bless you, make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's the, that's the hope, that's what God is wanting to do through this particular family, which will eventually become the nation of Israel. That's still what God is wanting to do through the nation of Israel, to be a blessing to all of the families, or we can say tribe and peoples and language and nation. Every person that exists, uh, which is something that Paul spends a lot of time on in Romans in particular. Jesus says this a lot throughout his time, interacting with the Jews to say, Messiah is coming, he's not just for you. Uh, you have Paul specifically in Romans addressing this idea that the Jewish people have, that basically the Jewish argument is uh, in Romans, God said it was going to work like this, and now he's changing the rules, and that's not fair. And so Paul says, actually, you guys didn't read the rule book very well. That's not what God was doing. Let me clear that up for you. That's Romans in very few words. Uh, it's a long book and very difficult to study. Uh, less so than Revelation, maybe? I don't know, but Romans is hard. But it's that idea of we're the only ones chosen. No, God has always been interested in all of his creation belonging to him. From the very beginning, that's what he's been reclaiming. That's what Revelation is showing us at the end that is going to occur. By that, I do not mean Every person that's ever existed and all of this, regardless of choices and things like that, uh, are going to be saved. That's not what I'm saying. I don't believe Revelation is saying that. Uh, what I am saying here, what I believe this is talking about, uh, is that those under the rule of the Lord will be comprised of. But when we get to the end of this, the church, the kingdom is going to be comprised of people from every tribe, uh, language, nation. Uh, and peoples there. Uh, we're going to have all of these that were at one point away from God, with God, and it will represent <coughs> the whole of creation uh, in some way. Okay. I was still just asking questions, and then we 
Yeah, it was your answer that made me jump into Genesis. That's right. Okay, which is good. That's where we needed to be. Let's continue from there. Just still recapping, but then we have some more to say. Because all of the answers that we got for why is this phrase good, and I think it's the right answer. They're all very similar in that it shows this inclusion of everybody who's going to be there, which is true. But there's another part to it that we only kind of got to last week that we'll spend more time on uh, today in order to finish this out. Uh, on the bottom of page two, you have Isaiah, which is not the next place necessarily that we could jump to. We could go into Leviticus to look at the extensive laws they're dealing with. Uh, foreigners, sojourners, all those that come through from other nations of other people groups into the land of Israel. And God specifically has laws in providing for those people, helping those people, because God is interested not just in Israel, but in all people. Israel's job is to show the rest of the world what it's like to live under the rule of God. To show people what it's like to live under his lordship, uh, so that other people want to come to that and be attracted to it. Uh, that happens in... I, I do this every time. Solomon's reign, not Saul. Uh, Solomon, it happens under Solomon's reign where they have this tremendous peace and for a little while. They have this peace. They have all of the, uh, everything that they need, uh, all the wealth, all the stuff, anything they could possibly need. Uh, they're at this place of peace. That's what God's desire is for them. Uh, we'll talk about what erodes that today, what, what destroys the... In that case, God is our king. What destroys that? Because <clears throat> that's the same idea here in Revelation. <clears throat> Isaiah is where we're jumping to next. Because of this idea of nation, or because of that word of nation, this is really the last paragraph. The idea of being a light to the nations is expressed repeatedly through the ending part of Isaiah. You've got four references there throughout the end. These references are given during the hope coming out of exile portion of Isaiah, and right before the references to God's new heaven and new earth. So eventually we're going to come out of exile, and it's going to be this great thing. Let me tell you how great that thing is going to be. That's how the prophets write their stuff. This is the end section of Isaiah. And it's in that part where he writes, you're, you're going to come out of this exile eventually, and as a result, you will have been, hopefully, cleansed of the reason you came into exile in the first place, uh, and then be a light to the nations. Instead of being like all of the other nations, you're going to be a light to those nations, something that's attractive to them to show them who this God truly is. Uh, and when that happens, then you have Isaiah describing the new thing that God's going to do, this new creation kind of language, which John will pick up on uh, at the end of his book, too. So the point of all of that is to say, man, my voice is going. Sermon might be super short today. <laughs> we'll see. I'm glad we had that amplified uh, for the voice crack and the recording. It's wonderful. <laughs> the point of all of that is to say, the intention of God working through his people just in the Old Testament so far, but working through his people is so that they will show everybody else this is what it's like to have Yahweh as king, to be a part of his kingdom. This is what results from that uh, when we live according to what he's laid out for us. Just very simply put, God's our king, 
king has decreed these things. When we do this, this is the result. And it's peace, it's protection, it's safety, security, it's provision, it's all of those things. And obviously, all of the other nations that are looking around and they're worshiping their gods and building up their armies for the same reasons. Because they want peace, they want uh, to have all of this security, they want to be protected, have everything that they need. They're just going about it through a fighting way. Uh, that's, not, that's not the way of God. Uh, when the people of God live according to God's law and those things come about, that should be attractive to say, look, you can have peace and provision and all of this without going and fighting and killing each other and pursuing power and all of that. Okay, uh, Ezekiel there is at the top of page 3. Spend a little bit of time in Ezekiel here. The term nations used 80-something times in Ezekiel in all kinds of ways. You have nations that... Uh, nations that are over Israel because of their behavior. And then you have Ezekiel talk about how those nations will no longer be over them at some point, uh, that those nations will also receive uh, for their sinful behavior what they have coming to them. Uh, but then you have towards the end that same sort of idea about Israel's reputation among the nations. Eventually we'll come out of exile, and if you're living by the king's laws here under his kingdom, that's going to be attractive to the other nations. Same idea as Isaiah. Ezekiel just spends a little bit more time uh, with it there. Uh, that's, that's the hope, is that this people of God is going to be a representation of what it's like to live in God's, God's nation uh, and bring other nations to him. <coughs> Then we went into Daniel, and this is where we, we left off. We looked at these phrases, and I asked a question about what's interesting with them. Do we remember what is interesting about the phrases in Daniel? And you can cheat. It's on page 3. It's not cheating. It's Bible class. We're using our Bible. You're allowed to do that. Yeah, it's an open book. Open book question. This phrase, like almost word for word, is used in Daniel. We've already seen how Revelation and Daniel connect heavily with the descriptions of, of Jesus used in Daniel 7 and 10. Uh, and so this phrase here, peoples, nations, and languages. It leaves out tribe, but it's extremely similar. Isaiah and Ezekiel just say nation, or sometimes it'll say peoples or something like that. Daniel is extremely similar to what John is doing in Revelation. These are the occurrences of it on your paper. What did we say was interesting? There were a few things, I think. There's one I'm looking for, but don't let that deter you from answering the question. What's interesting about how the phrase is used in Daniel? It's the same connection from, it goes back to the tower, that uh, the same idea of spreading <coughs> out and subduing the earth. Uh, it goes back into Genesis and then uh, all the way up through the rest of the Bible. <laughs> Yeah, okay, so we, and I, I thought you were going to go a different direction with that, because I think you can go both directions. Uh, yes, the, the second half of these, the Daniel, I guess starting there in verse, or in, in the chapter 4 reference. So the chapter 3 references kind of stand on their own, they're, they're a bit different. Uh, but chapter 4, 5, 6, and 7, in those four places, the last four references you have there. 
Uh, those are pointed towards uh, the nation of Babylon uh, and Persia uh, as well. Uh, but these nations that are comprised of people from all these places, because Babylon and Persia are going around and conquering, so their nation is becoming a, uh, a, uh, just a large group of all of these others that exist in the world. Uh, but these writings are sent to the people's nations and languages, all these various groups uh, that they make up, uh, and are pointed towards God, uh, the God of Israel, in different ways. <laughs> Uh, sometimes not the best way of... Oh, the last one in chapter 3, that's what I'm thinking of too. It's really those first two references that stand alone, sorry. Uh, Daniel 3.29 as well, you have that decree to all the peoples, nations, and languages, but it's about Yahweh, and it's also worship him or I'll kill you, says the king. Uh, and that's not quite right, but we can't blame somebody who is in the, in the transition period. Okay, this person's still worships all these gods and now has added this god. Uh, and as Nebuchadnezzar progresses throughout Daniel in those few chapters, he really comes around. Uh, his, the, what he believes about God changes uh, over the course of those chapters. Anyway, uh, he writes to these peoples, nations, and languages and points them towards Yahweh, towards the God of Israel, which is good because... You have all of these people's nations' languages that are now being pointed towards God, which is what God wants. However, it's the king of Babylon and the king of Persia that are doing that. That's not quite how that was supposed to work. You think about Israel being in exile because they failed to do that, and now the kings of these foreign nations are succeeding at being a better pointer to Yahweh than they were. That's got to be added embarrassment onto their time in exile here. It's a win as well. This is a great thing. And that's the whole reason they're there. It's because they failed to do the thing that now their captives are, or their, their captors are doing uh, here in this place. Go ahead. Isn't that kind of, at any given point in time, they are doing it right, then they're not, and then another group's doing it right? Yeah. I mean, it seems like it's always a cycle in the Bible. It is. And when we get, to, eventually we'll get to this point with Jacob with the name change. Israel just means wrestles with God. So yeah, they're wrestling. And sometimes they are, uh, sometimes they're with God and doing things well. And other times they're not. And then they don't. And there's, there's very much when they're with God and how things are, because things will be good. Uh, that's going to result in them. We have everything. We don't need God. Now we can turn, and then they go the other way. Now everything's horrible and terrible. We need to be rescued out of this. Uh, when we when we study judges, this is all going to fit into what we're talking about today. Yeah, uh, we have the time. When we talk about judges, we talk about the cycle that's there. That is just the Old Testament cycle. It's not the judges cycle. It's the Old Testament cycle. I mean, it is the judges cycle. We go from Joshua one generation into the next generation there, and then run through several in Judges. Uh, but it's by the time we reach the end of Judges, you could just go back to Genesis 6 and go, is this how bad it was then? Because Judges ends horribly. It's like two disgusting chapters of behavior from Israel there. If we're, on, if we're honest, though, yeah, isn't that really just the cycle of human yes. history? Yeah. All, all, all together. Yeah. yeah. Jack, I, I was just going to say was, you know, we, we look at that 
we look at that fault as like that was something that happened then, and yet it's still just as alive today. How many of us have seen someone who, uh, in need, you go, we go to to a, a foreign country of where maybe somebody doesn't have, and they are, and they seem to be happy, they seem to be involved, they they want the gospel, they they are in need for those things, and yet we live in a world where the minute we start making it on our own, we don't need God because I've done this all on my own, yeah. and uh, so. Uh, that that continues. I agree with him. It, that's just a cycle that continues as as humans. Which is why it's important to understand that God's desire is for all people. We're given the history of Israel because God's interacting with them specifically to show what they're supposed to be and who they're not supposed to be as a representation of this is what the world is and this is what they need to be. Go show them <laughs> the proper thing. You have another thought? I do. Go for it. So going back to what you said about the what God's purpose is, yeah, and uh, and what is what it's always been, and, and um, which is again, you and I have talked about this this idea of shalom, and and, and I know you're going to get to it. A real world example, and I'm trying to make it real short, is that um, back in you know 2003 2004 when we were involved with Afghan, we the nation yeah. with Afghanistan and Iraq. I remember George Bush's um, one of his his speeches, and um, and this is anything against Republicans or Bush or anything. I, I voted for him twice. Yeah, we have politics yeah. again. It, yeah, well, and, but, but <laughs> the real the real word politics is how we deal with yeah. with, with with situations in, in in real life. And so, my point is that during the speech, he made the statement that the United States is a, is a city on 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 a hill, mm-hmm. the shining city on a hill. Yeah. And I think it, 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 when we start talking about these things, about what God's purposes are versus kind of what we're in, you know, we're in this world too, is that God's purposes are completely diametrically opposed to the kingdoms of the world, no matter how quote-unquote Christian we think they might, might be. Yeah. Because God is, does not, number one, He's inclusive. And number two... Yes. Um, he, he seeks shalom yes. um, with, with the, for the world and with the world. And it should bother us as Christians, even though I know we love the country from which we, we live, that, that people co-opt things about the church and scripture that do not belong to these other ent- entities it, that I think cause trouble for the, for the church. Because when you conflate those those aspects of life, with with what only the kingdom of God has to offer, then you're 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 doing a lot of damage. Let's go ahead. Let's emotionally remove that from people that may not be, maybe don't want to follow that because it's having to do with uh, our time now. So let's let's do it this way because I'm with you. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. You only need to look at. Rome and Christianity becoming the religion there yes. to see how horrible a thing that was for Christianity. That was a terrible thing that happened to Christianity. Uh, it uh, You had more Christians than ever from that point. And you didn't, though. You had people claiming it, and then you had a whole system that started to form around it that was very bad, uh, that encouraged the seeking of power within Christianity, 
because of those structures, and that seeking of power is not, that's the opposite of uh, the, the peace, the shalom idea. Uh, so it, it's, uh, well, again, I would say that that applies to today as well, not just America, by the way, but yeah, it applies to the world, always has, and that's, that's what we're dealing with. There's this cycle of how humans behave and all this. Go ahead. I said I had time, and now we've got, <laughs> I love it, go for it. So it just makes me think of how sheepish we as a human are, because we're always looking at kings or leaders or somebody, and our faith seems to be so weak that as soon as we find somebody else that sells us something different, we sway that way. I mean, that's, and that's kind of that cycle I was talking about. And yeah. I think it's to be strong in the word and to learn to use your free will in the right direction instead of how easy it is for these people to get swayed, even going back in time. Yeah. Yeah. And part of, and again, the, we're saving this for the end uh, of the end here. Um, but we we end Revelation, it's not a secret, we end Revelation with language that's very similar to uh, Genesis 1 and 2, which is this picture of perfect creation and being within that perfect creation, and so there comes order and peace and all of these things, prosperity and provision, every, everything that people want to have, which is why they pursue power or go after the powerful and listen to them, because that's the promise. Added security, you'll have the stuff that you need. Uh, that tends to be what comes about there. It's riches, wealth, that sort of, all the Ecclesiastes stuff that we dealt with uh, not that long ago uh, as to why people follow those things. Uh, but we are shown, you follow after God and go with him, this is how this is going to end up. True peace that can only be achieved this way within this kingdom uh, and, and all that. Okay, I think all, the, all this stuff connects to what we're talking about. I just hope I... It's one of those, uh, you hope you stick the landing thing. Like the flight is, the flight can be really good, uh, but if you crash land, then it doesn't matter how nice the flight was. So all these pieces are going to interconnect. Uh, I just don't have them written down for us. So that's where... Trying to land the plane here. Okay, <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Uh, the first two, the first two. So, so what, what we said initially was God is God is working within all these people groups to bring about this particular outcome where uh, in, within His kingdom, which is going to be comprised of these people of every tribe, nation, language, uh, and peoples, that's what's going to come about. That's how the phrase is used in Daniel, uh, but. Those first two references, Daniel 3 and verse 4, Daniel 3 and verse 7, are different from the others. How? And we've kind of already talked about this. But we, uh, on one hand, we have the importance of this phrase because it's inclusive of what the kingdom is going to be comprised of. On the other hand, this phrase is used how? Verses 4 and 7 of Daniel 3. To get everybody to worship Nebuchadnezzar. Yes. It is, the phrase is being used not to orient the people, nations, and languages towards Yahweh, but to orient them instead towards an idol of Nebuchadnezzar, towards a different kingdom. Don't, don't point yourself this way, point yourself instead over here at this particular idol. Which is... 
what we'll see in Genesis uh, someday within the next you know, couple of years or whatever when we get to Joseph <laughs> and talk about that. Uh, it's what we see Israel struggle with throughout their entire history of moving to these different gods of the nations that are around them. Uh, it's moving into a different kingdom and shifting that way. It's what we see as the destructive thing for the people of Israel under Solomon's reign. One of the first things we're told about Solomon is his marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And then several chapters later, we're told he didn't just marry uh, the daughter of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He also married uh, all these women from these other nations. That would all have been to secure peace for generations because... Where all, all these nations are connected and all of this. God wants the nations to be connected. Not like that. Not like that. Uh, Solomon lost, his, lost the way there and started to gain power and work to achieve power in the same way uh, as all the nations around them. That's not what God was looking for. And that's ultimately what did them in, uh, was that decision. Uh, is Solomon pursuing, essentially, other empires, other kingdoms, other choices that way. That's what's going on in Revelation. Okay, this is the end of, this is the last big paragraph on page three. Daniel, like Revelation, is a book about empires. Throughout both books, there's a pull on all the nations, people, and languages to come and join one empire over another. In Daniel, it's Babylon, and then Persia, and it's, uh, we're told by Daniel that that will also be Greece uh, and Rome eventually. In Revelation, it's Rome, uh, but Rome is also referred to, and I believe these are the references I have there. Uh, Rome is called, referred to as Babylon. Uh, Babylon has a long Bible history. Uh, even where Abram is called out of in Genesis 12 is very, very early Babylon. Uh, so Babylon's got a long history throughout the Bible. So Rome is referred to as Babylon, probably because of the Daniel ties, and it's meant to convey this idea to the Christians here, you are going to be pulled in, serve the nation of God, the kingdom of God, or serve this nation in this kingdom. And if you do this, what the way that's laid out in Revelation, uh, there, are, uh, there, there are some present day consequences that may come with that. Uh, next week, I won't be here, but the, the class uh, that Ryan's doing for me uh, is on witness, which includes martyrs, and that's part of the that's part of what happens in following God's kingdom in the present. Uh, but the way that the martyrs are talked about throughout Revelation, what they're bearing witness to, uh, is ultimately these kingdoms are going to lose, even if it seems like they're winning in the present. This is the kingdom that wins. Does Daniel say that too? Yes, that's the, that's the, I was waiting for a, yes it does, but we didn't get there. Okay, uh, Daniel 7, I'm open there, that's, uh, it's, it's 714, it's on your paper there. Talking about the Son of Man, he came to the Ancient of Days, so talking about Jesus coming to the Father, and here's what's going to happen here. To him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. 
His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. That's not the only time this is discussed throughout Daniel. Uh, it's in Daniel 4. It is in Daniel uh, chapter 2, which is really where the, uh, that's really where this idea comes from, is that God sets up kings, removes kings, he changes times, seasons, all of that. Basically, God is in control. Yahweh is in control, even if it seems like something else is in control. It's not the case. God is going to accomplish his, uh, his goal here, which is this kingdom that will never pass away, this dominion that is everlasting, and all of this. So, go ahead. At this point, Revelation being kind of the end of the New Testament, and, Dan, and we're referring back to constantly the Old Testament. These people yes. in the Old Testament still have no concept of heaven or this new dominion, whereas the people in the New Testament are reading Revelation do, right? Yeah. So, I guess I get a little confused with Okay. Why he refers back so much to Old Testament, thinking these people never had a clue. So let me tell you about the clue they never had. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, so when you, it's true. Uh, I and I, I, I won't say that they didn't have any idea. There seems to be this developing idea as you go through the Old Testament that maybe there's something after all of this, but. Most of what you read, and this is uh, in Deuteronomy especially, the end of Deuteronomy is they're about to enter the promised land. Uh, Moses gives these blessings and curses. And if you read those, the blessings are things like, uh, you'll have these homes you didn't build, and you'll have all this food that you didn't work for, and your crops are going to be great, and you're not going to deal with the disease. It's all very physical-oriented, not this future-oriented idea. Right, and isn't that the thinking they're going to take over something from somebody that has all that? Yeah, promised land there, yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, and there's more to that than I think we can get in today. But everything was very present. And if you look at the curses, it's just the opposite. Your crops aren't going to grow. You know, you're not, gonna, uh, you're not going to enjoy uh, being disease-free. You're going to have all these plagues and pestilence and all this sort of stuff. Uh, as consequences from leaving God behind. I'd say most of those things are probably just natural consequences of leaving God behind, uh, less than God just being upset and throwing stuff down there. Uh, but natural consequences of following, natural consequences of leaving God behind in all of this. But it's all very immediate, physical, because that was, that was the context they understood. Uh, something very future or post-death would not have really resonated with them any more than God sending his son to die for them wouldn't have made sense either which is why you end up with here is here are all these laws and here are these laws about sacrifices that are very specific and all of these things uh, very much in that way you, you're kind of dealing with uh, Old Testament is bringing the people of God through a uh, infancy and childhood stage of let me tell you how things work. Uh, let me show you, uh, here are the things that you need to do. And maybe you don't fully understand why, but it's important. Make sure you do those things. Uh, I don't know if this is the best example, but you might, you would say to your three-year-old, you know, don't touch the stove without going into a 
Uh, here is how heat is conducted, and when you touch this, it's got, you don't really get into the whys as much. You might say for your why, or it's going to hurt real bad. <laughs> and that's the extent of it, and that's all they need to know. It's a very present, physical sort of thing like that. Still physical later on, but you might explain, like, why does it get hot, and why does that hurt me? How does heat transference, all those sorts of things work? Does that make sense? No. Somewhat? I don't know, I'm still trying to understand how John okay. in Revelation is using the, okay. all that. To well, by the time you get to Revelation, too, you've had a lot of intertestament. The, yes. the intertestament where the idea of the afterlife is be, is becoming much more prominent, not just in in the Jewish culture, but with within the, the Roman the Roman culture um, yeah. as well. And so you know, that has a lot to do with it uh, yes. as well. Yeah, there's there's a lot of development that comes in between the two things, especially about their Old Testament beliefs. Start to get formed more towards something's after this, what does that look like, and all that. I'll say this, though, to what you're talking about. Daniel was also very confused about the stuff that he was having presented to him <laughs> about future-oriented stuff. Uh, and he's also just told... And we talked about this a little bit, I think, in the very first class. And we'll come back to the phrase. Uh, but Daniel is told, seal the book up. This doesn't really matter for your... You need to write this down. It's important. You don't understand it. Don't worry about that. Just <laughs> seal it up and save that for when it's time for that to be understood. But Daniel doesn't have the context, nor do the people that Daniel is with at that time. They don't really have the context to understand what's going to happen. But there will come a point in the future where people can read Daniel and go, got it, this is what was being discussed. Daniel didn't really get it. The job of the prophet was not to understand necessarily, but to communicate uh, those things. And so Daniel's also confused about the future stuff. Revelation, though, uh, helps these, particularly the Jewish Christians, pretty heavily here. Uh, but it's going to help these Christians that have all of this information and then being shown, this is what God was talking about the whole time. This is always what God has been wanting to accomplish, and he will accomplish that thing. That's, that's the purpose of that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Do you have a follow-up question? Because we can keep exploring. Okay. Jack, I think, too, is this part of the reason why we are studying both today is the same reason. It, it definitely would have helped the Jewish Christians but it would have helped the, the Gentiles also yeah. because it would have been helped them understand God did not just appear on the scene in all of a sudden in the first century, that he's been around since the beginning. And this was for them to say, to read and be like, okay, look, we can actually go back and look at this culture's, this nation's stuff. It's the same reason we study it all today is because it, they would have done that even in the first and second century of going back and looking and trying to study farther back um, and not just thinking this was, well, when, once Jesus was here, it all began. It didn't begin with Jesus. It began yeah. significantly earlier. For a Jew, that would have been easy to understand, but for not, uh, someone who wasn't Jewish, they would have had to been told, go back and look at this other writings because this will show that this has been going on since the beginning. I think that's a good point, too, yeah. And I get in these discussions with you a lot. You know, yeah. I have to agree. Because I, I also end up in discussions with so many people in my environment that seem to, as I've told you, they, they don't look at the Old Testament like you do. And I don't know that I've ever developed a good, I'm thinking of our Wednesday class, a good way for those conversations to go. Sure. 
You know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it, it's probably more. I always get hung up on it. I guess. My bad. I, I do think that I do think that's a good point uh, as well. Not the the Jewish Christians knowing all this history from their from their Old Testament because they would know it very well. Uh, somebody described it. Uh, in a study I was listening to, saying, wouldn't it be nice if the Bible just had hyperlinks to go, oh, that takes us back to Ezekiel, uh, and just just does that work for us. Uh, but the Jews kind of had that. They knew their Old Testament so well, they would read this and go, oh yeah, it's Daniel. Uh, and they would just know that. They wouldn't have to work very hard uh, at, at getting there. They could just think about why that's being referenced. Uh, but the Gentiles reading this and seeing... Now, it's Gentile kings in Daniel that are elevating God. It's God working through those kings to bring about uh, this change within the nation to move away from Nebuchadnezzar or, or Darius and move towards uh, Yahweh instead. Uh, would have been helpful for them to see this has always been part of the plan, and it's going to occur. Uh, it's really what Revelation is about. It's not just the close of the New Testament. It's the ending of the very beginning. We, we end where we begin from the Bible, not just New Testament. So there is very much this, let's close all the threads, this is how everything wraps up, not just the New Testament. But ultimately, in the end, to say individual responsibility, quit looking at kings and nations and people yes. and realize we need it to be you. Yeah, look at the one king and the nation you're a part of and, and all this. Okay, because we're almost out of time, top page four. The ending of Revelation includes a couple descriptors of heaven that use the term nation. Here they are. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, uh, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day. There will be no night there. They will bring into, the, into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter. That's the shift. Like That's the big thing, because that can still happen now in God's kingdom, that unclean things and all that. In the church, people can do that. And that's the thing that they fight in the New Testament. That's not how it will end. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Uh, and then you have, the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There's probably more you want to look at there. I'm just bringing it up for this purpose here. We will come back to these, don't worry. Uh, but these references are closing this loop on the stuff that we've looked at here. The nations will ultimately come to walk in the light of God, which is what God's wanted from the very beginning, and work to achieve through Abraham and, uh, and Israel and all that. Uh, and now the church. We even get a picture of the nations coming to God to be healed by the leaves of the tree of life, which is not a John idea, it's an Ezekiel idea that he's pulling from there. That same idea is presented there. We'll talk more about that later. Here's the summary. Revelation presents an image of a world divided, coming together under the banner of King Jesus. We're moving towards a future where the nations will become one nation under God, fully devoted to him, creator, and his creation without separation. As we anticipate the future reality, we're presented with the same actions as Israel to show others through the righteousness that comes from living under the rule of God, that God is the power, the empire, the kingdom that should be followed, and not the empires of the world. The actions that God expects of his people has not changed. It's been the same from the beginning. The laws shift, sure, 
but the purpose has always been to show the rest of the nations that God is interested in them and wants them to be a part of his kingdom. That's what we're doing as the church. Still the same.